Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Signal from Jano Media. This time, I'm talking to Jano Media founder and CEO Matthew Wallace. We at Jano Media, yes, that's the third time I've said our company name in this introduction. Hey, you know, you've got to use your platform. We publish a weekly editorial called Contented, which is a roundup basically of the content that the team here and some of our clients are currently enjoying. We recently published our 50th edition of Contented, so that felt like a pretty good time to check in with Matt and find out what the thinking was behind setting it up a year ago. We also talk through Matt's top five choices of the past year. Enjoy, Jenna Media. I'll lead in in the introduction with why we're doing this, you know, because in honour of the 50th edition of our newsletter, Contented. How did you say that? Content ed or contented or content ed? Good, good question. Uh, I like content ed. Yeah. Uh, for pronunciation. Yes. What do you yeah, say? What did no, you I'm intend? No, I'm the same. I'm the same. Just I know people do it different ways. Like, have you ever had that conversation with somebody about Green Day or Green Day? <laughs> is it is it chainmail or chainmail? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. So everybody has different take, and I've often wondered what the the general yeah. reaction to the pronunciation of content ed is. Yeah, but it's very clever because, of course, the word contented. Like that, yeah. Yeah. Did you come up with that? It's very good. I think I. I, I mean, I would be loath to blow my own trumpet, but yes. No, I go did. on, blow it. So, <laughs> so content. Yeah. Well, it was the ed as in editorial. Okay. You know, that was the. You see, that was the content ed okay, or education that's maybe what i were, thought i thought it was two, maybe there was two parts to it i don't know so yeah but okay. i'm pleased with it it's worked it's it's been i mean 50 is a a lot yeah yeah so it's all power to nicola who's um put the effort into curating it and getting it out and obviously with valencia's help more recently as well getting it all yeah. sorted out because it's quite a task to yes, gather all of is. that stuff up so so every it's every week, isn't it? It's once a week. Every week, once every a week. Every week. Yeah, I know, and it's intended to be a how does how do we describe it in the newsletter? A look at the a look at content from across the digital landscape. I think yeah, that's I like the line. That. Oh, you there. know how to They're write a sentence. <laughs> Podcasts, live streams, audio books. What else we got? TV shows, YouTube channels. Yeah, not movies. Don't I'm not movies. against the movie thing. I know. Well, John wanted movies in there, didn't he? And I, it's not that I said, well, maybe I did say no. We're not doing movies. I just thought it was a bit of a bit of a leap from yeah. the slightly more not mundane, but the day-to-day sort of content that we all stumble across just in our yeah. daily existence. Yeah, that's what I kind yeah. of intended it to be, rather than the actual effort that's involved in sitting down and watching a film. Doesn't really fit into that that content consumption sort of idea that I had. But yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, not against it. If, it. if there's the right movie, if it if it offers the right topic to a conversation, maybe we'll we'll jump the gap onto that. But we'll see. No, but you're right. It's as movies are a sort of category in themselves. I mean, so much has been written and said and thought about and studied about the production of movies. Content in this term, the way we're you know the industry that we're involved in it's a different mm-hmm. beast it's got its own yes. rhythm yeah. pattern life philosophy yeah. um 
And on yeah. that, that sort of takes me quite nicely into the first question I might throw at you, because I have come up with a couple of questions which I didn't put in front of you. So full disclosure, anybody that might be listening, Matt has not been prepared for this. So I just... Well, you know, <laughs> but, we, I thought... we, yeah, but we say that to our clients, don't we? There is a lot more to be said for an honest, unprepped delivery than a scripted regurgitation, oh. which is, yeah, it's a bit disingenuous, I think, sometimes when you just get it parroted out. So yeah, I'd rather not right. have seen the questions. You'll get a, a more honest answer. I like that. And, and I have every faith that you'll be able to wax lyrical about some of this stuff. I'm a <laughs> remarkably is... articulate individual. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I mean, why, why is content in these sort of terms with, I mean, you just listed the podcasts, um live streams the idea of getting content out there if you're a business or an institution or a just a human you know we're all on this journey aren't we to make sure we've got enough content out there so that we're relevant and mm. so why do you, why do you think it's important what, what, what have you identified as being the drive for everyone in the consumption of content is it really... hang on a minute my, my dog's He's having a dream. Hang on. <laughs> Quentin. Oh, he, was, he was snoring on oh, the last one. Oh, he's proper going for it. Quentin. <laughs> Excuse me. Can you wake up? Hi. Okay. Sorry, Matt. Crack on. That's all right. You, so you were asking me that. Well, ask me again, actually. All right. Hey, so nine why... interruptions aside. <laughs> why is content important why is it important i think what i mean by the question is why is it important that institutions businesses they, they have to have enough content out there um what, what's it all about tell us what you think it's, it's information isn't it that's the point if you're if you're a business of any sort or if you're just a, not even just a business an artist a creator a maker a thinker whatever you might be if you have something to say to whatever end the mediums that we're engaged with as a business is Jano Media in podcasting and video, live streaming uh, and photography as well, to a certain extent. That yeah. content is a medium by which you can convey the information that you want to to your audience. Yeah. Um, if you're a business, you've got a, a multitude of things to say. If you're looking to recruit people to your business, if you're looking to sell your products, if you're looking to facilitate the conversation around who you are and what you do content is the, the way to do it it's i i don't know it's identity it's information it's yeah. education it's entertainment it's all of that i mean you think back to uh, the bbc what were their three principles from conception it was to educate inform and entertain wasn't it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're kind of the fundamental basics or the foundations of content as we know it still today Okay, they're not wrapped up in one institution anymore. No, at one time the BBC was the only thing by which you could be educated, informed, and entertained. Apart from, um, you know, from a broadcast point of view, newspapers were obviously there as yeah. well. But that landscape's changed now. We've got all of these different other platforms and mediums by which you can be educated, informed, and entertained in that way. And I think that's part of what interests me most and excites me most is how certain platforms and types of content are best suited to certain messages to certain 
types and ideas of of um of content mm. as well mm. we saw that most i think probably the biggest it's so boring now to talk about it i've just written about this in that blog post that i did for for you and nick about podcasting but that whole 2020 the year that was the pandemic that came and altered everything that was such a turning point for a lot of different types of content because people had more appetite than ever for consuming these these different mediums these different pieces of of information and entertainment and uh that's, i mean some of that stuff that we're going to talk about in a minute i think came out of my heightened engagement with the the digital content landscape off the back of the the pandemic you know yeah. just from a purely personal point of view never mind the fact that we're a business that makes the stuff but just all of a sudden having this stuff thrust at you in yeah. a much more overt way i mean like the live streamers in particular um like facebook gaming and the youtube gamers the guys that, that live stream themselves playing computer games which isn't for everybody granted but some of them just saw massive, you know, untold amounts of engagement that they could never have ever predicted were it not for that moment in time. That pandemic just pushed, pushed hundreds of thousands of people towards the medium. Because mm. all of a sudden people were just, yeah, I don't mind sitting here. I've got nothing to do. I will gladly watch a bloke, <laughs> yeah. you know, run around with his mates on a Call of Duty live stream. And it was entertaining weird yeah yeah very weird um but there's i mean very deeply weird um but there's so there's uh, do you think there's an idea of the sort of competition there's so much content out there now there's so many different ways that you can get in front of who your potential audiences or clients might be from an algorithmic point of view mm-hmm. you've got to have enough out there that you're going to be visible you know this, yeah, this sort of frantic need for it um, that's the problem I, that's the problem i have with with some of it i think is there's now an adaptation a deliberate adaptation in in the type of content on the part of the creator to satisfy the metrics of the algorithm yeah you know yeah. where you were once more than happy just to just to you know produce an hour-long video of you i don't know what you could be doing one of the youtube channels i watch is a guy that just spends hours of his time <laughs> excising fossils from lumps of stone oh, you know it'll, it'll, it'll go it'll go on a beach and he'll find it he'll find a massive rock and it'll go there's probably a fossil in here and he goes and cracks it open and then he will just with a tiny little dremel tool spend hours just chipping away all of the stone to re- to you know leave you with this incredible fossil at the end of it and I think it's such a shame now that at one time that in its purest form was already entertaining in some sort of weird way and educational and informative. But now this guy no longer maybe is content with just doing it that way. He's now got to produce a 30 second short of it yeah. as well so that it fits into a reel. And by doing producing a reel that satisfies the quick and easy option and suits the algorithm and that gets his visibility. And you you're dirty in the purity of what was originally a really just nice bit of content. Mm. Now you've got to jump through these, like you to use your word, these algorithmic hoops mm. to mm. to satisfy 
audience retention, whatever else. And part of it, I mean, that's blame the algorithm. That's our fault as yeah. well. You know, well, the attention reg, span isn't it? thing. I mean, exactly. They made our they made our attention span. Yeah. yeah yeah, definitely what came first but that well it was instagram wasn't it reels i think came out of instagram originally Mm -hmm. and then facebook obviously owning instagram incorporated Mm -hmm. reels into into the facebook platform and then you've got tiktok and then you've got you know every youtube channel now posts shorts on it yeah because those shorts now appeal in appear in the feeds and it's a bit of a shame in some respects But the, it's the long form stuff that I really like. Anyway, I'm not a not a reels fan as such. Yeah, yeah. And the content, but the content we make at Channel Media obviously serves a very specific purpose, doesn't it? Um, mm. You know, our clients have agendas and market campaigns that they're on a journey to get through. Whatever it is they need to produce, there mm. we are. Yeah. Make something good, something they can be proud of, and get it yeah. out there. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's so many different. I mean, if you look at it from a marketing and communications perspective, for a large corporate, like you know, we work with lots of very large firms, and often our relationship with those firms begins with the marketing and communications department. Mm-hmm. You know, they will be often the curators or gatekeepers of what people within their firm are are making, and usually, traditionally, we've always begun life or those relationships have begun from the video product point of view. And then we've elevated certain clients to different products beyond that. Um, But yeah, it's working with those clients to help them realize what the best use of video or podcasting or live streaming or photography is for their specific communications need. The video stuff's a funny one because it's got uh, the retention on video is we know low. You know, the ideal running time is what last time I checked two, two and a half minutes, something like that. Right. If your piece of video is any longer, you're just not going to retain anybody for that amount of time. It's also not passive as well. You you, you have yeah, to be yeah. fully engaged with a video to to watch it. And when you've got complex matters and really intelligent people trying to tell you a lot of stuff in a short amount of time, video is not always the most suitable medium to do it it works brilliant in terms brilliantly in terms of shareability and everything like that you know you can you can you can still say a lot in a video but visually and really push across certain points but you have to do it almost in a sort of a a teaser fashion and there's always that call to action you know to find out more please do get in touch this is who we are this is what we do but we can't tell you everything now so you're going to have to send us an email (laughs) uh, that kind of thing and and it's definitely a place for it and I, I still love video. I mean, it's the, still the core of what we do. But what we found, didn't we, was that the, the long form stuff, that re- the opportunity to really display somebody's expertise and to showcase talent and knowledge um, and understanding of complex matters and get your point across in a much more um, informative way, podcasting was the way to do it. And that's kind of where we ended up. Yeah. Um, offering that opportunity to to the same clients yeah and people have picked it up and run with it people want it don't they yeah what did we call it early on it was about facilitating the conversation we called it didn't we Mm. it was about giving people the opportunity to portray themselves as people not just as you know you've you've wheeled me out put me in front of a camera i've got to give you the the synopsis the soundbite 
the executive summary and roundup. Instead, yeah. actually, you could, if you wanted to, listen to me and my colleague talk at length about this particular topic and get a real understanding of just how much we know about it and also understand a little bit about who we are and how we work, our personalities and our characters and all that. You just can't get that out of a, a video, not in an easy way, you know. So I think podcast has very rapidly become a hugely popular tool with our clients. It's something that I put massive amounts of value in for those that are serious about good communication. Definitely. So tell me what the thinking was behind starting. So we've done 50 editions of content ed, content ed. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, so that's one a week for a year, almost a year. Mm -hmm. uh, give me a couple of sentences about what the thinking was a year ago that made you think this is probably what we should be putting out. People like content, and I think it said, you know, newsletters have to be. We, we can trot news when we do. We do send out newsletters about who we are and what we do regularly, anyway. You know, the the Jano Media monthly newsletter still goes out. And this is the work we've done. But when you start talking about content, we've seen better engagement with that newsletter, Content Ed, because people now look forward to getting it on a Friday, finding out what they don't already know about. You know, or there's a Netflix show that I've never heard of here. There's a, an Audible book that I've never heard of, a YouTube channel that I'll give it a look, um, or a, a live stream podcast, whatever it might be. So there's better engagement on this. And we just thought it was a really nice way to be able to share stuff with our uh, with our audience, with our client base and everything else yeah. and keep ourselves visible um, and whatnot. And we've obviously now moved into the, the guest curator phase yeah, very cool. this, we, we now ask our clients to guest edit or um, guest curate the content on a weekly basis for things because then it becomes much more shareable as mm -hmm. well you'll find yeah. those people will quite readily say oh i'm guest editor for content ed this week and then they post it to their their linkedin profile and you, your reach is extended through that yeah. guest ed editor role it's funny, isn't it? People like being an expert on their content. They feel very confident to tell you all about it and why it's good. So that's yeah. that's something to be tapped into and harnessed. I, I noticed it years ago, sort of in the in the naughty when YouTube was not in its infancies, but early YouTube. You used to go to like house parties and stuff, and people would have a laptop open with YouTube on. And people would take it in turns to show people the latest thing that they've discovered on YouTube. Oh, have you seen this guy? He does this. Have you seen this musician that plays the guitar with his tongue? Or, you know, this video of a cat on a trapeze or whatever it might be. And people, there was almost this active, I called it Tube Envy. I think I wrote a blog article about it years ago. But there was this almost competition between people yeah. to one-up each other on the videos that they'd found on YouTube. And we still do it now, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, you send now the equivalent now, I suppose, is the sharing of reels or the sharing of weird accounts that you find. So yeah, you send it to your friend, be like, you see this. And there's a bit of that in Content Ed as well. Some of the stuff is fairly obscure. You know, if you're talking about beachcombers that are excavating fossils and that kind of thing, it's weird. It's weird, but it's very shareable, you know, because we're, we're fascinated by those curiosities what we're going to do now is have a look at the five 
selections you've made. So we've been all contributing, all, all the members of the team at Jano Media contribute suggestions on a fairly regular basis to a mammoth spreadsheet um, so that we can go through and select you know, a nice range of different types of content each week to, to tell people about. Um, but what we're doing in this conversation is going back over, <laughs> combing back through that massive spreadsheet um, to ask you, Matt, what your five full-time out of those best bits of content um, mm -hmm. are. And so, I don't know whether you want to do these in a particular order. I've got them in front of me. No, I've had you, a look at all of them. But you might have you might have to remind me actually what the five were that I chose. <laughs> so you you lead and I'll follow. Okay. What I noticed about your choices was that they're all in some way. What I felt was that they're all in some way people who found something they really love, and they they just as a sideline make some content about it. So uh, that was my observation. Yeah, but you're right, though. That's definitely it. I think across those five bits, was it five that I chose? Yeah. They are, they are all born out of huge passion on on the part of the creators. Mm. That's where where it comes from. It's not just a hobby for these people. It's a, you know, a, an actual part of their life. This stuff that they do, mm. and then they've gone to the effort of creating content around it and sharing it as well. Most importantly, you know, we can all create content. We can all just write diaries for ourselves. You can call that content, but if you put it in a drawer and nobody ever reads it, it's only for your mm. consumption. If you have a real passion that you want to share with the world, these platforms are, are huge avenues to, to do that with, you know, YouTube and podcasting, live streaming. So yeah, all five of them are deeply rooted. They all have their origins in being the passions of the people that create them. Okay, so let's go into them. So let's start with uh, this DJ. Um, I think it's Suat. Suat, yeah, S-U-A-T. Yeah. So, so checked him out. Amazing, uh, hypnotically uh, energetic guy. How did you find yeah. him? And and yeah, tell me a bit about him. What it is. He started. Like. He started popping up on my. I think it was on yeah Facebook. He popped up on my Facebook feed, I think, most possibly just as there was an article about him or something like that, maybe that I first had contact with, found him on Facebook, followed him on Facebook, and he started regularly live streaming. I suspect it was probably during the pandemic, more often than not, these things are. Um, but the entertainment of this guy taking his craft and his art to another level basically he's, he's a for those that haven't seen it he's a, he's a mobile dj basically which is he's he straps over his shoulders to the front of him a pair of dj cdj dj decks yeah proper professional grade kit with speakers attached to it and cameras on a rig filming him that are live streaming him out on the streets or out in public wherever he might be just playing music and walking along and talking to people and engaging with them and making people smile, you know, mm. most importantly, people love it. Mm. Yeah. What becomes even more infectious though, and the compulsion to watch sometimes comes from the scrapes that he finds himself in with overzealous security guards and people that think they can tell him that he's not allowed to do what he's doing and et cetera, et cetera, you know, the score, <laughs> but he's, 
He's massively entertaining. It's lovely seeing him put a smile on so many people's faces when he's doing it. I mean, he's travelled all over the world now. He took his decks um, paragliding, I think it was, parasailing. <laughs> like in the, the air? Yeah, yeah. In the so air, he, he, okay. Off, off the side of a mountain, a bloke said, yeah, I can do that. You come, strapped him to the front of him and oh off God, they went. Amazing. And he live streamed from hanging from underneath the... Uh, paraglider whatever you want to call it whatever apologies here i don't know the correct name for what it was that he was <laughs> hanging underneath but he live streamed from midair he's gone potholing with it okay so he live streamed from down a down a pot in in a cave potholing um whereas yeah he, he deliberately gets himself in trouble sometimes by wandering into westfield and places like that where he knows he's going to get kicked out but that's all just good fun um so yeah, uh, but again, it's it's his passion. He loves that music that he's playing. He loves people listening to what he's doing. He's used it for good causes as well. I think he he led an entire army of people somewhere down on the south coast doing a, a litter picking day. So he live streamed for something like three hours with about fifty odd people in tow behind him, just picking up litter as they went, and yeah. turned it into a really positive community thing to do. So yeah, I like Suat. He's all right. Facebook Live, you'll find him. Yeah, it's cool. There is, there's a sort of philosophical angle there, isn't there? And for all of these choices you've made, this sort of, yes, mm. it's it's what I love. It's the passion that I have, and I'm going to create content and share it. But there's something, there's a drive. And he, he's innovative with it as well, though. That's the other thing. You know, he, he, you could just, you can be a DJ and live stream from your basement, but he's not. Yeah. He's one up to it. He's embraced the medium and he's taken it out somewhere else. I mean, for goodness sake, we've got 5G now. You can you can broadcast high-quality live streams from your mobile phone out on the street. You're not tied to your internet connection at home anymore. And he's just he's run with that, which yeah. celebrates the medium and the tech and everything else, which is, you know, other stuff that I love about all of this at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah. When you said he was a mobile DJ, I imagined you know some decks on wheels, which somehow would not be half as impactful as the sight of this guy <laughs> with it strapped with this like table in front of him, strapped on, and his little legs underneath, yeah, like, pe yeah peddling the whole operation around Chinatown or wherever he is. Or mobile DJ at one time would just been some some bloke with a dodgy old van, someone's and a dad, of, yeah, a couple of traffic <laughs> lights that he's nicked, that he'd set up in a community center somewhere. And an old smoke machine. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, he's cool. the future. He's the future. I like him. So following on from there, the next choice that I'd like to look at, the next of your five choices that you sent over to me, was Tideline Art. And she is an artist called Nicola White. And her thing is mudlarking, which mm. is quite a current... I don't know, is it current? I feel like probably people it's have been doing current, it for hundreds of years. But Yeah, they have. People have been doing it for a long, long time. I read an article about it. I think it was a newspaper article years ago about it, and I've always thought it was a fascinating pastime. Um, for the benefit of those not in the know, mudlarking is basically kind of like beachcombing. Um, it's very popular on the shores of the Thames in central London because the River Thames has for centuries been used as basically a, just a rubbish dump. Um, throughout the industrial development of the city, everything was poured into the Thames. And consequently, the mud within the Thames holds all of these artefacts and secrets of a bygone age. And to those that are so inclined, like this lady, Nicola White, her name is, you can 
basically go out at low tide and scour the shores of the Thames looking for these trinkets. And she finds all manner of stuff. I mean, some of it hundreds of years old. Mm. Um, Amazing. I was, yeah, I was, I was fascinated about it when I read it in this article years ago. And then to find it on a YouTube channel was just even more engaging because now you can you can see what they're finding. Okay, this lady Nicola, Nicola actually films from kind of a POV style with a camera what she's picking up uh, as she pulls these things out of the mud and she talks about them. And then there's the added mystery that suits the long form content of her pulling this stuff out and going, I don't know what that is, but I'll take it home and I'll clean it and then I'll find out. Oh, look, it's a brooch that could have been worn by a Tudor, mm. you know, or whatever else it might be. The most common find that she makes is clay pipes. Um, so whatever it was back in the 19th century, most likely, I think, in the 1800s, clay pipes were basically disposable tobacco products. You could buy small clay pipes that were already packed with tobacco and you would light them and smoke them, and then at the end you would throw them away. Now, you think about how many hundreds of thousands of those have landed in the tents <laughs> from anybody that would have been walking by. And most of them are still, well, a lot of them are still intact, and they're well-preserved within the mud. And she pulls these things out by the dozen. I think every video she makes, she pulls at least one clay pipe out of the ground. Yeah. But and then old old bottles and I mean, buttons are always... Lighter, yeah. <laughs> the amount of lighters that she pulls out. I think the, yeah. the sort of there's a nice USP to what she does as well because she she puts these bits of rubbish together into often fish, you know, mm -hmm. that she creates, you know, these sort of mosaics out yeah. of. I mean, I think I read something on her website. This fish here was made out of 150 lighters that I pulled out of the mud over a two-hour period, and you can believe that it's the modern equivalent of the clay pipe, isn't it? So she builds these bits of art on the tide line. And then takes a picture of this mosaic yeah, fish she's made. Yeah, she, often. I think, uh, yeah, at one time that was the bulk of her content. She was doing that. But these days, the videos that she's putting out are really just about the what I found and then talking about the finds. She still is an artist, absolutely. But she, the, she's got such good engagement now with her channel from just doing the, the find videos, going out having a scrabble around in the mud, seeing what she can find and then talking about it at the end. And it's really, I used the term pure earlier in terms of its content form, but it's, it's not overproduced. It's just a lady with a camcorder talking as she goes. There's no stupid overreaching with it, trying to turn it into something highly polished and mad production style or anything like that. It's just really honest, pure, content and it's long form as well that's the thing the videos run about 35 to 40 minutes but i'll, I'll watch that I've, i'm not afraid to say i will sit here and gladly watch you know one or two of those back to back sometimes because she's it's just it's just interesting mm. you know I'm a, i like history and stuff like that it's, but it's these little artifacts and trinkets that she pulls out and the fact that anybody could find these things as well it's all just yeah. there to be picked up there's nothing yeah. special about it. It's not going down, you know, 50 metres below ground in a tunnel with a hard hat chipping away at a rock face or anything like that. It's just rubbish from hundreds of years of crap that's been thrown in the tent. Mm. I should point out, I think there's there's a bit... Nicola, our Nicola, not that Nicola, but when we put that link out on Content Ed, the, the owner of the content, Nicola White, got in touch. She emailed us, I think via 
uh, Facebook and said, thanks ever so much for featuring me in Content Ed. We love it. However, can you just add a small disclaimer at the end, which is to say that the Port Authority in London aren't at the moment actively granting any additional licenses for going out and scat. I mean, there's nothing to say you can't walk your dog down there, but the actual activity of going out mudlarking is supposed to be licensed in yeah. some way. And there's a bit of a bit of a concern that there's possibly an over interest in it. So yeah. she had to be careful and say we needed to disclaim it a little bit and say, don't everybody jump on and give it a go. You need a license to do yeah, it. I mean, I imagine that <clears throat> like anything, it's pr potentially pretty dangerous if you go to. I mean, th if I think about that mud that's along, and I know they mudlarking is the word, but often mm -hmm. she's on sh shingle and sand finding these things, but the actual density of mud along some of the strips of the river is pr yeah. probably pretty dangerous so you can't have everybody so i guess people need educating on the pastime before they set out yeah, to do yeah. it that's why Licenses. there's no accounting for for thick people as well that might not understand that the the thames is tidal at the same time you know you don't want to get cut off and stranded messing about on a sandbar or anything like that you need to find yourself cut off and drifting out past Gravesend so <laughs> you've got to be sensible so another one that you sent through was and I'm not going to be able to say it again stop I don't know why I'm trying to make it more complicated a word than it is Stora is that right Stora 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 yeah. this is this is a YouTube channel seven lads who are absolutely incredible at parkour um, uh -huh. love love their origin story they've been doing it since they were boys um, yep when did you discover them and do, what do you do parkour is this a particular interest of yours stately jumping off no. walls no you know i don't but i can't remember when i first encountered this one they've been on my subscriber list on youtube for a, a long time so i've been watching their stuff for a while um but yeah the origin story certainly is of interest it, it's seven lads that are just and this is part of the charm of it for me the absolute best of mates who are doing or who are together as a team collectively indulging their passion for parkour which is a fascinating sport in the first place anyway that whole um, the athletic nature of the the sport of parkour and also the crossover between the sport and the urban landscape as well you know these guys are uh, you know very athletic and able in what they do but they also understand quite a lot about the urban landscape and the crossover of their sport with, you know, architecture, for example. Yeah. They often run into criticism from people that just say, well, you're just a bunch of idiots doing dangerous things, jumping off tall buildings and, and whatever else. But they're actually saying, well, no, we're, we're specialists in movement and performance art. And we understand yeah. the interplay between that art form and the art form of architecture for example and the urban landscape as i've already said so when you start looking at it when you zoom out from the what might appear to be the immediately obvious thing which is these guys are just good at jumping off walls and then you look at it as a you know as a as an art form and all of the component parts of that it's it really is fascinating and it's that camaraderie and the and the brotherhood element of it these seven lads that are just exceptional at what they do and travel all over the world now to do this. I mean, I think that one time they were employed as the stunt team or as a group of stunt actors for various films. The one that springs to mind now is it's called Six Underground, I think it was called. 
I think it's got Ryan. I'm going to get it wrong now. I think it's got Ryan Reynolds in it. Anyway, it's it was a a film shot overseas somewhere, but there was a part of it that incorporated a parkour element to it. And they've acted. They're not just making money out of the fact that they've got eight million subscribers on YouTube. They're being employed as professional stunt athletes as well in Hollywood productions, um, which they would never, for goodness sake, they never would have envisaged it. They were just jumping around walls and stuff in Brighton and having a good time. But because they celebrated that passion and indulged it and chose to share it, that's the most important thing. They created something and shared it. Then it's just catapulted them into into something else. So, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by what they do. There's a brilliant film on Amazon Prime that they made. It's a documentary, basically. It's a documentary called um, Ruth Culture Asia. Ruth Culture Asia. I said Ruth then. Ruth Culture Asia. And it's, I think, you know, it's a feature-length documentary made by them about them going overseas to the Far East. And, I mean, uh, I remember I remember watching it and at one point being so horrified at what they were doing, I stood up from my own seat and walked out of the room because I couldn't look at the telly. Because they were... <laughs> I mean, they do some really stupidly dangerous stuff, it has to be said, like scaling, you know, climbing out of windows on the you know, 80th floor of a skyscraper and hanging off the air conditioning units and things like that. To be clear, they're not what we, I think there's another another sport or pastime out there called skywalking, which right. is where people who aren't parkour athletes will just scale very large objects just for the thrill of standing on the top of it, okay. you know, un, untethered. But what they were doing was doing death-defying leaps and stunts across the buildings and over the roofs of these these buildings in, um, in I think it was South Korea and a few other places, Taiwan, stuff like that, they were doing stuff. It's an amazing film to watch. Yes, so, yeah, it's yes. called Roof Culture Asia, and their YouTube channel is just called Stora, S-T-O-R-R-O-R, which is the middle name of two of the, the members of the team. That's where it comes from. The, the Cave Brothers... Ben, Benj Cave and Max Cave, their middle name is Stora. Never heard of it before. Okay. Don't know where it comes from, but that became the team name for their for their troop. Okay. Uh, I like the listen to one of them say something about the sort of you, the unity of the group and learning how to become a sort of organic, um, you know, organism as a as a team. Yeah. And how they can so you know they now are obviously at a stage where they're tuned they're so tuned into each other's inner state they can see whether one of their teammates is going to land something by just how they're breathing or so it becomes mm. this like meditative spiritual connection that yeah. they have with each other like a flock of yeah. birds one of them compared themselves to super yeah. cool and just that idea of challenging yourself to do something and nailing yeah. it I mean the satisfaction there. They're all really supportive of each other as well. That's the other thing. You could almost be forgiven for looking at it and thinking, well, it's just a bunch of lads messing about, jumping around, and that there'd be some, I'm going to say, use the overused term of toxic, but that, you know, they'd all be just taking the mickey out of each other and ribbing each other. But they're not. There's, there's a real sort of brotherhood element to it, which is really nice to see, in all honesty. Yeah. So the next choice that you sent over, and it's a podcast that I've never listened to, and I don't know who this guy is, but I will by the time you've 
uh, told me about him. So this is Mark Maron's podcast called WTF. So what is this? Who is he? Why should I listen to it? Have a word with yourself first of all. Didn't you have a stint as a, as a stand-up comic, Sassy? I did. I did. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, but he um, <laughs> he, he is a stand-up comedian. That's his. That's right. his origin story. He's from the US. Um, he's based in LA. He was, to all intents and purposes, for the longest time, what he might call himself a, a, a failed comic. He was just on the circuit, gigging, touring doing what he could in um, in the comedy clubs all over the US, trying to make a name for himself. Mm. And then he was picked up or fell into the company of a, a now dead but nonetheless famous comedian called Sam Kinison, who sort of took him under his wing, um, showed him the ropes even more, and then showed him a bit more than he should at the same time, got him sort of into the scene, the, the drug scene and all of that. He's a he's now a, a long-time sober um, comedian. But out of the despair that he was feeling um, of being a struggling comic, he took the initiative to set up a podcast that was just him in conversation with others. Again, long-form content, real honesty about the whole thing. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he just has a chat with anybody and everybody that he finds interesting. So his podcast, WTF, we know what that stands for, became, at one point, I think, the most successful podcast in the world. I don't think it currently holds that status, but for the longest time it did. And he will entertain the great and the good on his podcast, which for the longest time, up until a couple of years ago, was recorded and produced in his garage on on his house. In, in LA, I don't know where exactly in LA it is, but people that have graced him with their presence in his garage include Barack Obama, okay? <laughs> Barack Obama, as he was approaching the end of his second term as president, so coming to the end of his presidency, he was, you know, doing the circuit as such. He was given an invitation to come and do a podcast with Mark Maron, and he went, he did it. I mean, he turned up with the Secret Service at this guy's house, into his garage, sat down and recorded, I think it's like an hour and a half podcast or something. So that's what it it became, and that's what it still is. I mean, I think maybe now it's still an honest podcast. I think he has a lot of very um, good conversations with some fascinating people. But the cynic in me says maybe part of it now is it's just part of the PR tour circuit for these guys you right, know yeah. the, the guests yeah. now they're they're plugging a book they've just been featured in a film mm-hmm. the agent has said you should do wtf with mark maron mm-hmm. and you know it's just a stop on the promotional tour for some people yeah. but yeah. then there are other people that he talks to that you know uh, i think the conversations are a lot more more honest and, and open you can view them a little bit less cynically than that he's well yeah. funny <laughs> well funny he's very, very <laughs> funny slipped into teenager mode there yeah he's very funny i saw him live i saw him live at the royal festival hall a couple of years ago he had um a special not special he had a series on netflix called marin m-a-r-o-n which is basically a, a tv show that's based on him and his his life to a certain extent and he also is the main promoter 
as a character, I mean, on the show Glow on Netflix, the, okay. the show about female wrestlers. Yeah. You yeah, see that? I've not, no, I've not seen, but I know. Oh, yeah. You got well up your content game, here, Seth. <laughs> yeah. Glow was a, was a big hit. I think it did two seasons, possibly yeah. three. I don't know if it's coming back for another one or not. But he's a feature character within that show as well. So he's an actor at the same time. Is he playing he himself? Was... No, he's a character. No, no, he's a character. What was the film he did as well? Which was, hang on a minute. I'm Googling this. That's one sec. Did you see the film Almost Famous? Uh, no, I didn't. But again, it's just on the on the yeah, edge yeah. of my content knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> Almost Famous is a film about a young lad that lands himself a gig as a reporter for Rolling Stone. Okay. And he goes out on tour with a band, um, you know, writing about them and their their lives as musicians. It's completely fictional piece of work really good film but mark maron is also in that as well he has a, a bit part in that as well okay. he's quite an emotional fellow when i say he wears his heart on his sleeve he, there are I lost count of the number of times that he's just spontaneously burst into tears whilst talking to <laughs> one of his guests about a particularly difficult chapter in their life not his they'll be telling him a sad story and he just starts crying which is <laughs> a bit odd sometimes to hear but he's also by his own admission, a quite a, can come across as quite a cantankerous individual. He's got a real fire and temper and passion to him. And he has these opening monologues at the beginning, which are, you know, quite obviously unscripted, but it will just go off on tirades, um, not in a, a kind of overly aggressive way, but he makes his feelings known on a, on a number of subjects. He was by no means a supporter of Donald Trump, I can tell you that much. <laughs> he, uh, he's quite a quite a fiery liberal let's say but a fascinating bloke to listen to and speaking of fascinating no hang on <laughs> speaking of men who divide opinion like donald trump i don't know if that's going to work as a segue but we'll go with it um the last <laughs> selection on your list of five was spacex this is the youtube channel uh, for well, it's not it's not Elon it's not quite right to say it's Elon Musk's YouTube channel. It's the YouTube no. channel that documents all things Elon Musk is doing to put us into space, right? Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, well, it's, it's an Elon, it's a YouTube channel attached to one of his companies, which is SpaceX. You know, he's right. a serial entrepreneur. He's got a number of companies, Elon Musk, but. The one that I'm particularly interested interested in and fascinated by is is SpaceX. He's a to say he's an inventor. I don't I don't know if you'd call him an inventor or not. He's a businessman in principle. Okay, he uh, he owns a lot of very successful companies: Tesla, SpaceX, SolarCity, the Boring Company. He was part of PayPal years ago. That's where he first made his money and and all of that stuff. So. I won't call him an inventor, but I won't shy away from saying that the bloke is is a genius. I don't think there's any doubt in that. Put aside any opinions that you might have about his character and personality and what moves he's made recently to divide opinion uh, with Twitter and, and all of that stuff. Um, he possesses, I think, one of the finest minds and intellects of our modern age, you know, where at one time we, we should rightly celebrate the endeavours and achievements of 
Einstein and Newton and all of those people. He is, to my mind, one of them. Because what he's doing in the work that he's doing with SpaceX in particular, which is the one that really fascinates me, is coming up with a means and method by which we can propel ourselves out into the solar system in a economically efficient way. Yeah. It's a funny way of describing it, but if you think for the longest time, space was the preserve of one or two agencies, okay? It was NASA, okay, in the USA, and it was Roscosmos in the Russians. And space was treated as a football for the space race we're talking about, yeah, obviously. Yeah, you know, yeah. The only way you could get to space is if you were backed by billions and billions of dollars or ruples from uh, a state-sponsored a state entity, okay? Yeah, yeah. What Elon Musk endeavoured to do was actually say, well, that's kind of bullshit, really. Actually, anybody can get there if you're smart enough. And anybody can get there if we take away the main limiting factor, which is the cost of it. So when he set up SpaceX, the whole principle of it is that he wanted to develop what he called and still calls rapidly reusable rockets. That idea of rapid reusability was what he saw as being the gateway for ease of access to space travel, to space commerce, to space tourism and industry and all of that stuff. And that's what he's done. He now has at his disposal a fleet of rapidly re reusable rockets that are that successful that he is commissioned on the daily by companies all over the world and by government agencies like NASA or the, you know, the Pentagon to take stuff into space for them. So his rockets will, will fly. It's called the Falcon 9 rocket. This is his core business model, and this is... This is another reason that I'm fascinated by him. The rockets that he uses on a, and I'm, when I say a daily basis, that's not really an exaggeration. Well, maybe it is an exaggeration, but once or twice a week, these rockets will launch. They will take very expensive, multi-million dollar payloads into space, satellites and whatever else. I was going to say, for, what sort of thing do you yeah, want to take up? Paying customers. So it, it could be a defense contractor or something like that, or it could just be a research agency that's developed a satellite that they need putting into orbit or a telecoms company. Mm -hmm. And they say, we need to put it up there. Can we put it in your rocket? And he says, yeah, you give me the money. I'll launch it. The rocket goes up and deposits the payload on behalf of this customer into orbit. Where he wins, though, is that that, ro that rocket where it used to just drop back into the sea and never be seen again, his rockets come back to Earth and land on boats or barges out in the Atlantic, or they land on on a spaceport back on the on the coast where they launch from, so in Florida and and elsewhere. So that idea of rapid reusability was the key to it. He did it. He had got proof of concept. He developed it. He created a business with a a re with a, a revenue model. Now he can do this work. And then he uses all of that money that he makes from these contracts delivering other people's stuff to space. He pumps that into his next passion project, which is getting people to Mars mm -hmm. and developing the what he calls the star, what is called the, the Starship program. Again, it's a hugely, it's a reusable rocket model. So it goes in two bits. There's the ship that sits on top of a booster. 
both bits go up to the edge of the atmosphere. The ship takes off and flies wherever it wants to go. Mars, let's say. The booster falls back to Earth and can be reused again and again and again. That bit's not quite off the ground yet. He's done some test flights with it. I think the first orbital flight is probably coming within the next month. Let's get down to the nuts and bolts of while we're talking about it, which is the content, though. Yes. You can follow that journey of what SpaceX are doing via their YouTube channel. They yeah. will routinely broadcast all of their launches on that channel, the, the SpaceX YouTube channel. And you can see everything that I've just spoken about there. You can watch the rockets take off. You can watch the boosters come back and land again. You can see the deployment of the the hardware into space. I mean, Seth, I mean, how old you and I are a similar age, okay? Mm. We were born in the early 80s, right? 81 for me. I can't remember what it is for you. But... We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. <laughs> the space shuttle during my childhood was was a thing, okay? That was, a, that was reusable rocket technology you lost the big expensive bit which was the booster and all that they but the space shuttle was a, a model of reusable space flight technology and then the space shuttle went away and there hasn't been that kind of totem almost for youngsters to grab hold of in the same way that i remember being excited about a space shuttle we haven't had it for years mm. space shuttle got scrapped it only flew you know one or two times a year anyway Whereas this guy, this this business fella, has created a whole culture and following and infused millions and millions of youngsters in the fields of engineering and physics and science and all of that and mathematics. And it's it's massively important. You can't understate that, really. Because without people like him doing what he's doing, we will run out of engineers yeah. We won't, we won't, there has to be inspiration for people to pursue certain pastimes yeah. or to pursue certain subjects and passions and, and things like that. Mm. And that SpaceX definitely does that. It's massively important. Now, do you want to talk about why he brought Twitter and why you think he's a bit of an arsehole? No, I don't. <laughs> I can't be bothered. I think it goes without saying, doesn't it? As I does don't the know. Sort of, I don't know. As does the, the, the eco-argument around sending things into space, but I, no, that's not uh, I'll give you some science on whether or not it's economic, no, uh, <laughs> ecologically difficult or not. It's, I don't, I it's don't probably... It. No? no? All right, you're just going to skirt over. You're going to deny yeah. the science then. <laughs> I'm just going to say, give my mic drop moment and not, not even ask All for right. a... No, go yeah. on, you can. No, 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 no. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling your leg. You can ignore it's, the science it, where you want. It's off topic, isn't it? We're talking about content. Yes. Very cool choices. Five very cool choices there. Thank um, you. When are we doing yours? I, my content intake is patchy at best. Um, I don't know what that's about. That sort of. I don't know. But the idea of. I find it hard. I find I find it hard to find time to consume content. There's a I've got a block about it. Um, mm. I would sooner do a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> yeah, you know you like those. <laughs> Love a jigsaw. I bet you puzzle. can. I bet you can find a live stream oh or a YouTube Lord. about jigsaw. I don't know why I haven't set one up. Frankly, I'm we can make that work. We could make that work. We'd probably have to do it without an audio feed. But yeah, 
very much. That was um, a good little collection, five bits there. Um, I've enjoyed researching those and yeah, enjoyed seeing what makes you tick. Um, so thank you very it's much. It's not all of it. It's, it's not no, all of it, Zed. It's just those it's, five I'm, bits. I'm a highly complex and nuanced individual. I'm not all parkour and rockets, okay? There's <laughs> a lot more, lot more going on than that. Well, maybe that's part two of this conversation. Okay. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much, Matt. Cheers. No worries. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much to Matt for giving me the time today. And thank you for listening to this episode of Signal from Jano Media. I will let you know when my long form, very long form YouTube channel around Jigsaw Puzzle Assembly comes out. But in the meantime, if you would like to talk to us about producing your own podcast series, do get in touch. Uh, You can follow the clickable link in the show notes for this episode or you can email me directly if you like on sassy, that's S-A-S-S-Y, at janomedia.com. See you next time.